The gospel lesson this morning comes to us from the good news according to St. Luke, the ninth chapter. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it has been attested both by you and the Holy Spirit and the church throughout ages to be living and active, able to speak to the most intimate desires and details and questions of our hearts and minds. Would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, come to each person here today, all of their hopes, all of their burdens, find something to say to them as only you can through your word, that this time might be profitable and beneficial, and that we might be transformed, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Uh, you guys are probably like this, if you, if you have any uh, Netflix or any of those kinds of things, you find yourself, or maybe you like to read, but you find yourself sort of on a binge, you know, the first time you read Harry Potter, you, had to, you couldn't wait to read them all, you just kind of get obsessed with something. I've been obsessed for a couple months with the work of this uh, writer and director named Taylor Sheridan. Uh, and he uh, wrote Sicario. I think he won an Oscar for that uh, as, as a screenwriter. Uh, and he's made a whole bunch of movies, but he's become recently more famous. I had never even heard of this show until I found out that some, some of my family members in Montana might have helped inspire part of it. But it's a show called Yellowstone. I think it was the most popular show in America the last few years or something like that. Uh, and then he's got a follow-up called 1883, and they're working on another one. Uh, but it's all people going west mostly. I mean, Yellowstone, of course, is modern day, but the 1883 specifically was people going west. And it's, it's sort of remarkable to just uh, visualize that. I think it's been a long time since I've seen like a nice old like frontier kind of movie, you know, where people are heading west. I was trying to remember if I've seen a lot of those and I haven't. And it's really, it's really amazing. It's amazing because even today, if you were to take a, a road trip uh, if, if you just start driving west, you realize how vast the country is and how much empty space. And then also, if you get out of the car for any reason, wherever you are, even in the gas station, you realize just how inhospitable 
and wild so much of it is, especially the further you get out west. It gets really, really wild. And to see what they had to do just to cross little rivers that I've been driving across my whole life, uh, that that would shape them going to all different places that we now know as states and all around into new dangers. It was amazing to imagine what kind of will it took to get out there. What kind of hope that you had in front of you What kind of dedication that you knew you were going to encounter sickness and possible uh, attack and death and uh, being famished and running out of water and money or being robbed and then know you would probably lose some of your family members on the way and yet to keep going with this single dogged determination to make it to a frontier place, to make it to somewhere that you had imagined and been told was better. Perhaps it was going to be land that you could farm. Perhaps it could be somewhere you would homestead. Later, it might be gold that you're going out to look for and prospect for. It's amazing to think about, just to pause for a second. And those of you who know me, I've already said this in the one or two joint services we've had, but for the last couple years, uh, I've been really obsessed with the deeply biblical theme of pilgrimage and journeying. I've just found it so helpful for me in the middle of my life and also for all of us as we find ourselves in seasons of great transition and turmoil and danger from the left and danger from the right. And I didn't even mean that politically, but, you know, it applies. Danger from everywhere. Fires, you know, climate, all the stuff that we are terrified of. This idea of being on the move and journeying towards somewhere safe and fruitful, somewhere more like our understanding of flourishing and shalom is, is so helpful. And here we are, as you know, if you've been around and praying and discussing, here we are on the first step together, officially, formally this morning, as a new uh, caravan of people, journeying in one another's company to help protect one another, to carry one another's burdens, to be together, no matter what we may face, heading towards something that we hope is a more beautiful destination for all of us and for our neighbors. We're starting off on a new crazy Part of our course today. And in the midst of that, the text that we're given as we're following the lectionary right now and reading through the Gospels sort of um, intentionally is a strange text. It's probably not one that I would have chosen, which is part of the reason you preach the lectionary sometimes, right? So that it just gives you something and you see that all of God's word is profitable and useful. And I'm going to give you, I don't always do this, but I'm going to do this this morning. I'm going to give you just a hook. This is what the sermon is about. The sermon is about this morning that as we're on this journey of faith, as we're on this pilgrimage, as we are going out into this new frontier of an open future together, Jesus is calling us not to get distracted in our discipleship. And discipleship just means to be someone who's a student and a follower of a certain teacher. So as we follow him around, there are all kinds of distractions that are going to come up within our ranks and around us, people pointing at different things. And the temptation is to have a distracted kind of discipleship, you know, Uh, as we say a lot at my house, like squirrel, you know, you're just like distracted all of a sudden. And instead, Jesus is pointing us away from distracted discipleship into a focused following of him, from distracted discipleship to focused following. And it starts with the fact and the truth that even today and then in this passage, Jesus himself is focused. It's not, I mean, it's not a particularly like religious word that sounds so amazing, like if I were to say he's omnipotent, right? But it's important for us to understand. I think we'll see that he is 
focused. He never loses focus on the things that he is determined to do. The desires of his heart never wander off to this way or to that. His heart, his mind, his will, his whole person stays focused on the task in front of him. It says here, the very first verse, and if you're familiar with the Gospel of Luke, this is um, towards the beginning, towards the end of the first third of the Gospel of Luke, but it's the hinge of the book. He's been doing all these other uh, sorts of ministries around out in the small villages and the small countryside, and it says right here at the start of our passage, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, which is a reference to everything he did in his last few days of his life, both before his crucifixion, but also in his resurrection as he stayed with people. And so that whole movement of being taken up on a cross and then taken up into God's presence through the ascension. When the days drew near for that, it says that he set his face. And the word there is like to resolutely, you know, to set your face like flint, as they say, to just totally be committed and focused. He turned his face to go to Jerusalem. And everything that happens in the rest of the Gospel of Luke, and it goes on for quite a bit, takes place in the context of him having his face dead set on going to do the job in Jerusalem. He's focused. All his healing, all of his challenging, all of his teaching, all his rebuking, all he's casting out of demons, everything that he does from here on out is in the context of him having his, set, his face set toward Jerusalem. He himself is focused. Here is, you might say, the one man ever to have lived, the one person, the one king, the one we understand now to be, the one God setting his face and everything about him, every cell of his body, to go to this new destination, this place. His pilgrimage for him is to a cross and to a resurrection and into a new life. And Jesus called living this new life the kingdom. We'll see him talk about that in a second. To live in the kingdom by grace through faith towards shalom. But there are challenges. He stays focused, and it means that we might lose the way if we're not focused as well. If we get distracted, we lose the one who is leading us and guiding us. Here's a major temptation for those who are already his disciples and following him regularly. I'll read it again. Well, he sent messengers ahead of him. I'll just, I'll describe this. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village and he says, hey, Jesus is coming through. Will you be able to set us up and take us into your homes and feed us and help us get replenished to keep going? And they say no. They hear that his face is set on going to Jerusalem and they're like, oh no, he's not setting up camp here. He's just going through to go to the Jews over there, our mortal enemies. No, we're not doing anything for you. You're one of those people, Right? So when James and John hear it, they say they're all excited about the new powers that they are dabbling with being around Jesus. You know, Jesus, I remember the last time a famous city in the Bible didn't welcome messengers from God. Fire came down and consumed those cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. And so, should we send down fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Can we, can we, can we? Can we push the button? Wouldn't that be great? We hate those people. And if you don't know, the Jews and Samaritans were mortal enemies, partly because they were so close together in history, so close together in blood, in faith, and background, because they had shared such a proximity. They are now mortal enemies because this person went a little over here, this person went a little too far there, or they're kind of half-breeds, or they worship a little bit differently than us, and they started to really hate each other. 
had no cause to hate people around the world nearly as much as those that were closest to them. And so they hated one another. I said, let's, let's send God's wrath down upon those people. Let's see the power of God swallow them alive. All because there was a lack of welcome, a lack of hospitality on this path. Do you see the incongruity here? Jesus is coming through. His face is set, and we're going to describe this here in a minute. I'm kind of saving it for the end. On what the point of his task is, we know what it is. It's to go to Jerusalem, but what the, what, why it matters. And they don't all know yet. But here, people are closing their doors to Jesus. We don't know what he's about. We don't know what he's doing. I guess we're good enough as we are. You know, their doors become walls and borders, and people are just like, pass by. Don't come in. Don't open the fence. Don't come onto my property, right? And then his own disciples are like calling down curses. Yeah, those people, them, get them. So everyone is closing down doors to one another, pointing fingers, calling curses down upon one another. These, as we know now, are sinful, imperfect human beings shutting down God's mission and his presence. Jesus, the one perfect human being who's ever lived, the one is the only one that has the ability to rightfully be wrathful. Instead says, no, 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 no. We're not doing any of that stuff. It's okay. And it says again in the middle of the passage, he set his face again toward Jerusalem. No amount of lack of welcome or security system or people saying, get out of here, don't come around, was gonna keep him from accomplishing his mission. And his own followers that are with him saying, yeah, yeah, let's get those. Those are our enemies. We can finally have the power and put them in their place. They've been so bad for so long, let's get them. And he says, no, 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 come on. Just quit talking like that. He says he sternly rebuked them. Of course, we don't have the contents of that, but you can imagine it's a great many things he's been teaching them, like, for example, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. He might have taught them that it is a soft answer that turns rain away wrath, or that it is kindness that leads to repentance rather than to power and domination. Whatever he told them, he rebuked them sternly, and it says he turned his face back toward Jerusalem. Come on, keep moving. And then we see, well, I'll just, I'll read this quote to you. I was going to unpack this, but I'd I'd like us to have time to have a wonderful picnic today. So I'm going to skip a little bit of my notes here. There's an author, I will make one application. One author, he's a Christian, his name is Matt Michalatos, I don't know how to say it to be honest, but he says this. It's wise to remember who our enemies are. According to scripture, it is not people. And even if it were true that people were somehow our enemies, again, it's kindness that leads to repentance, not gloating, not denouncing people, not arguments, or even fiery sermons. We're gonna see this as we continue to look at the passage. But I agree with him that Jesus Anytime he even mentions the possibility of an enemy, he says, if you have an enemy, you better pray for them. And not only that, you better love your enemies. And so this is the first great distraction for the follower of Jesus. It may be the most religious of temptations. Us, with the right guy on the right side, and all of them, in any way we can get our pound of flesh to make them pay. This is a distraction. 
from the mission of Jesus. Do not fall into that temptation. And it is perhaps the great temptation, perhaps of every generation, but almost certainly of ours in a season of great change and upheaval and turmoil in our country and in our political system and in the world. It is the great temptation to close your doors and huddle down to keep yourself safe or to just get whatever little bit of power or comeuppance that you can on someone else because you saw that Facebook post they did in the middle of the pandemic or you remember the choices they did or whatever it may be. No, 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 friends. Jesus sternly rebukes them for this and he keeps going toward Jerusalem. He will not be distracted in his discipleship. He is focused and he wants us to be focused as well. The writer and existentialist Soren Kierkegaard has a phrase, it's the title of one of his books, but it's also kind of, it's a book, but it's kind of almost a sermon. And it's a really beautiful phrase. It's this. Purity of heart. Purity of heart is to will one thing. If you want to have a pure and undivided and clean and happy and washed heart, it is that all of your desire and the way that your desires lead to actions, your will, are focused on one thing. And of course, this is a sermon about goodness and about God, Kierkegaard's is, not just mine. And in the opening, he condemns double-mindedness to turn away from anything other than God's good, to be focused. This is what it means for us to have an undivided and pure heart, one that can be transformed and open and become a home to God. And there are more distractions. We're going to fly through these ones. These are also people that are interested in following Jesus as well. Of course, they weren't the band of disciples, but they are people that knew of him. You know, the Bible, you know there's all these great spaces, just like in the West there's great spaces. There's all these spaces in between verses in your Bible. And I don't just mean the literal space, but like if you pause and just think about it for a second, it'll tell you as he was talking to them, but it kind of skips. You're like, oh, he must have spent a day or two or a week there talking to them. So he's with these people, and it just kind of shows, the, if you will, if they have to put in a bumper sticker at the end, well, here's how it ended, or at least this stage of the journey ended for them. Jesus is going along the road. They're on journey. They're heading out towards Jerusalem. And someone says to him, man, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Here comes like the fanatic, all excited. Let's do it. This looks like fun. And he says, really? Okay. Let me go ahead and tell you, man, even a fox has a home. Birds have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Which is both a statement about who Jesus is and the kind of life he lived and why he lived the life he did and what it means about solidarity. But it's also just saying, if you want to come along the ride, along for the journey and the ride, be ready. It's tough. It's hard. It's a long road. It's more like that road out to the west. We don't know what's going to happen. We'll have opposition, enemies. We'll get hungry, tired. We won't have nice beds. To another person, he said, after talking to them, presumably hanging out, whatever, healing, says, now come follow me. Let's go. You're invited. And this one said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Jesus says, which is, strikes me as kind of harsh, he says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. For you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. It's like there's a time and place for ordinary life. There's a time and a place to grieve, but right now you have a decision to make. The caravan's coming through. Let someone else take care of it. Come 
and proclaim the kingdom of God. You will see something greater than your limited daily experience could imagine. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first go back and say goodbye to my family. Again, Jesus pushes the earnestness of the focus and the decision and the timeliness. He says, no one who puts his hand to a plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Another way to translate that is to say, and you can imagine, if you're flying over, let's, we've done the West, this has been the metaphor today, more than I imagined. So we're flying over, you know, out there. You're going out to the West Coast and you see all those fields. Can you imagine seeing a tractor that's doing like this, you know, all through the fields, like not making nice rows? You're, you're, not, you're not feeling confident that there's anyone driving that tractor or he fell asleep or he was, you know, nipping on some gin and juice a little before noon before he got to his work. Because that's not how you get crops. It's not how you take care of fields. It's not how you're going to see fruitfulness come. If you look backwards, you don't know where you're going. And so these distractions, he tells them ahead of time, when you follow me, it's going to be really hard sometimes. And of course, we know there's many beautiful things that he talks about as well. But he warns them, this will be really hard. We will hit road bumps. Some of us will fall into a river and drown. I haven't had somewhere to sleep for a while. That's what following me means. If you want to come, you have to be focused enough to deal with that. Don't be distracted by your lack of creature comforts. The ordinary situation, number two. You're going to be so much just like, I just wish things could be normal and I could have it and I could keep things in order and I'd go about my normal affairs. And he says, no, 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 no. It's time to move past your grief and ordinary duties and the regular cycles of life and seasons and to go on this journey with me. And then the third one, he says, when you come, don't look back. When you come, don't look back. And he uses this, one of his favorite metaphors, agricultural farming metaphors, one that they would have had all around them, a lot more than we have in this urban location. Someone asked this question. So he's, he's a, farmer, a farmer who stays focused, doesn't look back. It's as if he's saying, if you're going to come on this journey with me, let's get to work. Put on your coveralls. Put on your hard hat. Bring your lunch pail and your tools. There's not going to be time for complaining there's not going to be time for bickering. There's not going to be time for like locking your doors, nor for calling down curses upon anyone else. We have our face set. We have to go. I'm going to lead. I'm focused. Follow me, and let's together get to work with singular devotion. And you can't look back. There is no looking back. And so here's where I just try to apply it to us for two minutes. On the one hand, I know most of you, at least a little bit. I know many of you well. And one of the reasons I was most excited about a merger for all of us is I know what sorrows you've seen in the last couple years. I know what losses you've had. I know some of them, at least as a corporate body, as a church. I've lived through with you the, some of the interpersonal and cultural and city ones that we've experienced. And I know that we are tired we're exhausted, and we need a long season of rest. We need to have safety in greater numbers together with a larger tribe to nurse one another back to health. And yes, many hands make light work, and so more people to share the load and to carry 
our burdens. And I hope that this next season of life together gives you precisely that. It was amazing last week to go to the final independent service of Resurrection Park Slope. And the thing that you all told to one another in your testimonies, which was the sermon for those who weren't there, to let people just stand up and tell something. The thing that you talked about the most wasn't how handsome all your pastors have been or, you know, like the amazing potlucks or all the cool places you've worshipped as you had to bounce around all the time. What you talked about was consistent and steady service and sharing of the burden that other people in the church had provided to you year after year after year. And it is my hope and prayer that this congregation will be that for one another in the years to come so that we experience rest, so that we experience safety. We don't need a security system for safety. We need one another. We need a lot of people serving, okay? But yet, the lectionary gave us this And I wouldn't have chosen it, but here Jesus is telling us this morning. We're also starting a new phase of our journey, and it is time to get to work. I'm I'm like, do I share this? I'm going to share it. I I see a therapist. Mental health's great. I hope all of you find find a therapist, see one. I was talking to my therapist this winter, and it was when the first news about possibly purchasing this property and the mergers happened, and what she said to me was, This is the first time since we started meeting, which was just since the fall, she said, you are talking about your work with such purpose and hope. And I was like, as I reflected, those are the exact words. I'd been feeling adrift, like what are we doing this for? And is it even gonna last? Are we just gonna have to close our doors? And so I want you to have purpose and hope. And the reason I shared that with you is that sometimes It is having a job to do that is the renewal and the rest. It's not just actually not doing anything. It's sitting around and and waiting. Sometimes it's like having purpose, having hope reinvigorates you. It renews you. It revivifies you. It gives you life. And so I'm asking you this morning, Jesus, I think, is telling us to stay focused. There is a job to do. Sometimes we hope it's going to involve renewing this building I love, Brian put this in one of his newsletters. Ezra, the prophet, had to, uh, it was Nehemiah, sorry, Nehemiah's the one I want first. Nehemiah came back to a destroyed city and helped rebuild a wall, a physical place for the city. And around the same time, another prophet, Ezra, came in and out and recorded God rebuilding his people. And as Pastor Brian put it, like we are having both an Ezra and a Nehemiah experience together that we get to come and rebuild something, Lord willing, something physical, which is amazing, and will take decades. But also we get to rebuild one another, this new thing, to see flesh restored, to see ligaments grow strong again, to see our connections happen. Let's get to work together, focused on Jesus, because, because Jesus' focus was and is nothing less than you and me. They thought it was winning a war against their enemies or gaining a political victory in Jerusalem with Rome. But no one knew that he was going to the heart of the issue, 
that the destination, the only one that would bring everlasting life and full flourishing and healing and shalom to the world was to be reconciled to God the Father through Jesus by the power of the Spirit and reconciled one to another. Ephesians 2 says that his work now is to tear down every single wall and barrier that divides one human being from another, that they might all come to know Jesus Christ and become one again. That's what he's focused on. It's what will happen, and we can focus on it, if we remain focused on Jesus. Not on grievances, not on others, not on creature comforts, not on anything else. But if we stay focused on Jesus in our sermons, in our conversations, in our parish groups, in our picnics, in our celebrating, in our serving, we will follow him. We will follow him to a beautiful place. Let's put our hands to the plow and journey together. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.